you know we've sort of arrived when the new worship team introduces a new song. Look out, guys. <laughs> that was good. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 4. The book of Deuteronomy covers one and a half months of Moses' life. It happens to be the last one and a half months of Moses' life, and he lived 120 years. It's important for us to hear the last words of any great person. Moses has been the great leader of Israel. He's been God's leader. And the people of Israel have benefited greatly from Moses' relationship with God. Us pastors of Calvary Chapel, those of us who came up under uh, Chuck Smith, the leadership of Chuck, well, he died a couple years ago, and we sorely miss him. Our leader died. I went to last year's pastor's conference in Southern California, and it was our first year without Chuck being there, and it, it just wasn't the same. The new leadership, it's in place, and they're not Chuck, but they're not supposed to be Chuck, and they shouldn't try to be. And when I look back upon our presidents as a, as a people in my lifetime, there have been some great presidents, and there's been some that I didn't consider so great. Israel is about to lose their all-time deliverer. They're, and Moses has been told that he's not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. And Moses will hear from God and give God's word to the people. And truly that is a great leader who will give God's word to the people. Israel... They find themselves camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Uh, they're about to go in and possess the promised land. They have already, though, conquered 60 walled cities east of the Jordan. And now they're about to go over and take Jericho, but that's still a little, little ways away. And Moses will take one and a half months and he will use this opportunity to warn and to instruct his people, God's chosen people. So let's read verses 15 through 23 of chapter 4. Take careful heed to yourself, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. That kind of includes everything. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the host heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them. 
which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heavens as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Verse 15, take heed Israel. Listen carefully to what God has to say to you. Listen like you did back when God spoke to you from the midst of the fire there at Mount Sinai. For us to audibly hear God's voice, it's a rare event. And especially for an entire nation to hear the voice of God, that's especially rare. Most of us learn to hear God speak to us through circumstance. God, by his Holy Spirit, making a truth real and relevant and obvious to us. We can read a Bible passage, and uh, the words just jump off the page and almost say, Hey, listen up, this is for you. And we could have even a pressing question about some issue, and we can't resolve it. And then we'll read a verse in the Bible, and everything becomes clear. That's the Lord speaking to us. But Moses' encounter with the burning bush was on Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, synonymous, where God called Moses from the bush. And this bush would not be consumed with fire. That was the spectacle of the burning bush. It would not uh, burn up. It just remained burning. So... Let me read Exodus 3, 4 through 8, and this is talking a little bit about the burning bush. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and these bunch of otherites. No need to go through them. There's several of them this there. Moses, at the burning bush, he is in complete awe of God. 
He hears God's voice and he hides his face. He's afraid to look upon this bush that will not be consumed by fire. And in verse 7, notice, God has seen, God has heard. He's heard the cry of his people and God knows their sorrow. That's comforting for when we pray. It's important for us to understand God already knows our situation. Doesn't take away our need to pray, but God knows what's going on in our hearts and lives. And in verse 12, God continues speaking to Israel. The mountain shall be assigned to all of Israel, and you shall serve God on this mountain. Horeb happens to be the mountain range, similar perhaps to our Rocky Mountain range, but Sinai is a particular mountain peak. Therefore, Horeb and Sinai, they're kind of interchangeable. In chapter uh, 19 and 20 of Exodus, Israel is there. They're camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai. God tells Moses, hey, set boundaries uh, on the mountain that the people will not go near the mountain. And uh, let me read you Exodus 19, uh, 16 through 19. We're going to do a lot of reading this morning, so buckle up. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thundering and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Notice the audible sounds that all of Israel, and there's about two and a half million of them, are hearing coming from the mountain. There's the blast of the trumpets. And these trumpets are trumpets of God, not of man. And they're loud, and they're long, and they're growing in intensity. Plus you got fire, and you got smoke, and you got the earth trembling and quaking. Now the people have a reaction. They react with great fear. <laughs> Don't hardly blame them. That would be quite the sight. So let's pick up in Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sounds of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The people are afraid. 
and they tremble. They stand way back. They're standing in a far off, and they have a response. And they tell Moses, Moses, you come and talk to us, and we'll hear you, but we are afraid of God. We're afraid that his voice will kill us. And they have a legitimate fear there. It's tremendous events are going on there. But there's a reason why God will speak to them directly from the mountain. God wants his people to consider, to remember the thunderings of the past, the lightning flashes, the trumpets and all that, the blaring trumpets. And plus the entire mountain seems like it's on fire because all this smoke is coming up. God wants Israel to remember how afraid they were when he came and spoke to them. How they trembled with fear. And he's wanting all of that to sink down into their hearts for one reason. And we're told that reason. So that you may not sin. Sin is not out to give us a bad day. It's not out to put you on a guilt trip, even though it might do that. When God knew Cain was about to murder Abel, he said to him, Sin lies at your door, Cain, and its desire, its desire is for you. To own you. To control you. God does not want us, his people, to stay away from sin because it's pleasurable. And sin is, it does have its pleasure. God does not want us, his people, to be owned or controlled by sin. God is our God, and he doesn't want us, his people, controlled by sinful behavior. Sin is about domination. Either evil behavior or evil thoughts. When, when I lived in California, I knew a young man who was locked up in minimum security facility there in California, and he was locked up for drunk driving. And I went to visit him, and he told me, my only problem is drinking. In his mind, if he could control drinking, there would be no problems in his life. Now, not being one to hold my tongue, I told him, you don't have a drinking problem. And he kind of looked at me in a quizzical way. I said, you've got a sin problem. If you were to stop drinking right now and never drink again, there would be another sin waiting to jump into your life and control you. And that kind of startled him. But we must understand, God loves us too much to allow sin to own us. He doesn't want us to be controlled by sin. So what does God do to Israel? He scares the entire nation, frightens them. There at Mount Sinai, with the sole purpose that they reframe from sin. So we see that sin is not a character flaw. 
God actually forbids sin for our own protection. Consider the price that Jesus had to pay to forgive us of our sins. It begins to give us light as how sin is so important to God in a bad way. Jesus was required to go to the cross by his own Father, God the Father, for the forgiveness of our sins. He went there by the will of God for our forgiveness. That happens to be the greatest act of love ever shown to mankind. So we have to understand the cost of forgiveness for our sins. So that brings up a question. What is God doing in your life and in my life to keep us from sin today? We must realize, Israel had to realize, God does not want sin to control us. He doesn't want sin to rule over us. One of the wisest things that we can ever do as believers is to make no provision for sin. You know, stay away from it. We are not to feed a sinful appetite because it will devour us. Many of us today have more disposable income right now than we've ever had in our lives. Make sure you're laying up treasures in heaven that will not rot or rust, nor corrupt you. God has given us here in America a lifestyle that really is the envy of the world. Talk to George and Luann how they live in Africa. What a startling difference. But one of our greatest blessings in America happens to be our abundant food supply. Just think on that. We spend very little of our income on food when you look at it worldwide. But we are in the midst of a devastating drought in California, a drought that affects us more than you would think on the surface. And I said, we are in a drought. Why would I say that? Well, let me tell you. Much of the food we consume as a nation is grown in California. California is one year away from no water being given to the farmers whatsoever. One year. Farmers who put food on the table for millions of people. The massive, and there's a lot of them, the massive reservoirs in California are at less than 5% capacity right now. In Texas, they have just come out of a very serious drought. The authorities in Texas call for the people to pray to God that he would bring them rain and relieve the drought. And there, just a couple months back, the rain in Texas broke the drought that had been gripping them for years. There 
depleted water supply was relieved, alleviated in two months. It was over. The drought's over in Texas. One newscaster on, uh, in Texas declared, our lakes are full, our reservoirs are full, our creeks and rivers are full, and there's no place for all this water to go now. Two months, and they, they had been in years of drought. And now Texas and the surrounding states, Oklahoma and so forth, have more water than they know what to do with. The crippling drought has been broken, broken by God providing rain. Some of you may remember Keith Green. He was a singer, songwriter of years ago. And he had a song that I thought was clever. And he said, God is the weatherman. And that he is. He controls the weather. Israel in the Old Testament had a history of falling into sin, and God would judge their sin many times by bringing drought upon them. California is beginning to have fresh vegetables and tree crop shortages this year. Shortages that will affect the entire nation. But the governmental leaders of California, unlike Texas, they feel no need to call upon the people to pray for rain. Currently, there are water restrictions on the entire state of California. You don't dare water your lawn, you don't wash your car, and they have passed a mandatory, no matter how much water you use or how little water you use, you must decrease your water use by 20%. For some people, they're already there. You know, they've already reduced it much as they can. Or you're going to get a serious fine placed upon you if you do not decrease your water consumption by 20%. The evidence of drought is everywhere in California. But the leaders of California see no reason to call upon the people to pray for rain. But I know there's people in California praying for rain because I know some of the farmers there and they are praying that God will break their drought. And now I say all this for one reason. God in his own way can reduce us to nothing to show us our dependence upon him, and he can do it very quickly. Moses, at the end of his life, he's recounting Israel's history to them. From the mountain, from the crossing of the Red Sea, all of that, he's recapping their history. And he tells them, remember how afraid you were for God to continue just to speak to you from the mountain. And then he tells them, we would be wise if we would listen to God. So let me finish reading Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 24 through 40. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Hear that, Israel. Hear that, Christians, today. 
understand that. Verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image from anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. Hear Israel and understand what God is saying to you. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where, the God, where God will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Hear Israel and understand God's word to you. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Mercy coming forth. Selah. Think and hear about this, Israel. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Selah. Think about this, Israel. For now you, for ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has ever happened, or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking of the midst of the fire as you have heard and lived to tell about it? Think about it, Israel. Think about it, Christians. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm in great terror according to to all the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Think about this, Israel. Think about it, believers. To you it was shown that you might know the Lord himself is God, and there is none other beside him. Think about that. Out of heaven he let your Hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire and his great words out of the midst of the fire. Hear Israel, hear believers. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance, as it is this day. Consider this, Israel. Therefore, know this day and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God. In heaven, above, and on earth beneath, there is no other God. Think about this. You shall therefore keep his statutes, his commandments, which I command you today, 
that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. God wants us and God wants Israel to understand He is God and His word is truth. Understand that. Know that. God will do great wonders in heavens and above and the earth below to demonstrate that He is God. His statutes, His commands, they're important to God and they're for our benefit. Just like we read in this morning's scripture reading, God would have us to prosper as our soul does prosper. Your spiritual well-being is extremely important to God. And He wants you to prosper in spirit and in soul. And God, being God, has ways to get our attention. God can get our attention as believers through godless leaders. He can get it through severe drought. How about hurricanes, tornadoes? I believe personally that disasters are not brought on by God necessarily, but I believe God will use them to get our attention, to turn us back to obeying Him. God desires that we hear Him and that we obey Him. And He says, if you will turn to me with your whole heart, you will find me. We can't fake it with God. If you're going to pursue Him, go after Him with your whole heart. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Israel was given a lot of instructions. But we're also given a lot of instruction. Let's pray. Father God, thank you first off for being a merciful God. You call us to obey you. Call us to repent of our sins. You tell us the danger of, of not obeying you. May we understand that. Lord, you give us instruction so that we will not sin. So we won't be surprised by sin and, and fall into its trap, Lord. So help us. By your Spirit, give us resolve not to sin, Lord. And Lord, if we do sin, we know we have a gracious God who's more than willing to forgive us. So we thank you for that forgiveness, Lord. But go before us. Make us into a people, a righteous people, who love and serve our holy God. We pray for this, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.